Good morning. It's a pleasure to be back up here and to share God's Word with all of us together. And so, as you have heard from the sharing earlier, our team went to the Sayout First Nations Reserve to do a service trip where we get to run a, a VBS kind of similar to what we did uh, a month back, but a lot less structured and a lot with a lot less kits. But it is definitely a great experience, even for, for myself as one of the first timers going to this trip, to see the love and the hospitality that the Say Out Nation has for us. So for those who don't know, this is just a map of how far we've traveled. It was only a two and a half hour commute from our church to the First Nations Reserve. And when you think about it, you can technically do a day trip and come back. It's actually that close. But in the same time, like what Emily shared earlier, it's almost like night and day when we compare our living conditions with theirs. So this is the team that was participating in the trip this year. And we all went across this this body of ocean or body of water to go to this uh, this First Nations Reserve. And perhaps there are 30 or so of us, but we might be all coming from for different motivations. Some might be because their friends told them to come. Some might be veterans who have gone many years and have built relationships with, with the youths and the kids who have now become teenagers. Or maybe some... Maybe some like me who, who, who have to show up because the church told me to come. No, I'm just kidding. I actually want to go. But the truth of the matter is that even with different motivations, there, were, there, there was one common threat that held us together. And it was because there's something about Jesus that, that motivated us to go, whether it might be for showing Jesus to these people or for those who are in search of faith, wanting to see Jesus in, them, in their own experience through this trip. So today, as Michelle has shared earlier, uh, there is a passage in Mark. And there's a passage that's kind of similar, where Jesus walked or traveled across to the other side of the lake in order to minister to these people who are in need of healing. And for the whole Gospel of Mark, the question that's centered in the whole book of the Gospel is, who is Jesus? And this is more or less, I feel, what we have been doing as a team together. We're there not because we want to run a VBS, or not because we want to do some charity work, or, or even we go there because of, just making new relationship with people. But the ultimate goal is to show through who we are and what we do, who is Jesus in a totally different culture, in a totally different environment. So today I don't have anything really fancy or intellectual prepared, but I just want to share three different stories that came across recently in my experience at Sayo. But a little backtracking, 
when you look at the passage that we look at today, it talked about Jesus traveling across the sea. And as we share about last time during Youth Sunday, there is an imagery of the sea in the Jewish culture as something that is dangerous, something that is uh, related to fear, and something related to death. And so, for some of the people living in that culture back in the day, they would purposely detour, they would travel around the sea to avoid that danger. So for someone to go from one end of the sea to the other is really out of the way for them mentally in order to reach the other side. But this is essentially what Jesus did. He went to travel on a boat. And for that time, it's not a really fancy or sturdy boat. It's like a fishing boat that is in danger if a storm hits. And just to give you guys a sense, this is the Sea of Galilee in real life during a storm. And you can see this is a much more sturdy boat than they had back in the day. And it's really rocky. And people can actually drown and die when they travel. So this is just a sense of the situation that they were at in order to get across. So in order to get there, you really need a purpose. And as you know, Jesus did not just go there once. He went there three times. He traveled across the, the Sea of Galilee in order to minister to people. He went and healed other people. And as I was reflecting on this, uh, on this passage, I got a chance to talk to some people, and they reminded me that Jesus can technically heal pick and choose and heal whoever he wants. Like, there are plenty of people out there already where where he he was doing his ministry in Galilee or even in, in the region around Israel where he can be safe and he can go and heal these people. But he purposely chose to go across the sea, which is something that we need to think about because in the Jewish culture, these are also the regions where they're the outcasts. In Decapolis, in, in the west side of, of the sea is where a lot of the people that are rejected, a lot of people that are um, isolated from the general society because of their illnesses or their poverty or because of things that are considered unclean in the Jewish culture. But Jesus chose to go there because he knows that they are the ones in need of the gospel more than anything else. And to see, based on his action, that Jesus does not just say he is God, he acts out who he really is, as, a, as not just a healer, but a God who shows compassion to others. And this is not just another healing story either. The passage that really stood out as I was reflecting on this this story was the idea that Jesus groaned mightily right before he healed this deaf and mute person. Jesus groaned mightily at the person before he healed him. For a son of God, you know he has the power to heal and he can just do it without any hesitation. 
But what makes him so amazing as our God is that he does not just do it for the sake of showing he is God, but he does it because of his love. He chose to associate himself with the poor in human form. And he groans before he heals. He groans before he heals. It actually reminds me of one of the times when during Seiya, we were just playing games. And it's very interesting. So I was just playing games with this kid and with, with these few kids with Hanok and then somehow four squares turned into six squares. I don't know why. Like they just draw new squares like, okay, we're going to fit six people in now. And every time, these kids are really competitive kids and when they lost, they get angry at each other. And, and how they've shown their anger, it's not just like smacking each other or like, or like with words. They just walk up to a kid, like they go, <clears throat> I like to show that they're angry, they're mad at them. And it's kind of some sort of groaning that they have. And the word groaning, the word to groan, it, it's just such an interesting word. It, it's not just a word that shows they're unsatisfied, but it's also a word that expresses the pain and the agony in the person. In the same time, it's also a word that has a sort of a direction. It, it doesn't just express your feeling, but it has a longing to hope. It is at the satisfaction that this is not the way it should be, but that there is something better out there that, that the, the person suffering pain should deserve. <clears throat> so when you look at this word, it's actually also used in, in Paul's letters, in, in Romans and in 1 Corinthians. And this is a word out of all the different words that he can choose to express pain when he talked about the agony God has to long for salvation to come to his people. So Jesus groaned mightily. And when I keep reflecting on this, this verse, it also reminds me of a story I had when I was hanging out with a kid right before Seiya. So recently, there's a fad that has been happening. And so I know that everyone has caught on. And especially the, the teenage and the young adult guys know what I'm talking about. So this game called Pokemon Go. And for those who don't know, it's quite a powerful game. Like... They are so into it that there are certain phrases you can say that can get their attention. So, for example, you can just walk up to a kid on their phone and say, there's a char lizard nearby, and they would all look at you. They'd be like, there's this supposed rare Pokemon that is really hard to catch. And so, if you tell them there's one nearby, they would all pull out their phones, and they would stare at whatever direction that you're pointing at, and they would follow. And in the same time, if you say there are, there are a few lures at this spot. So these are lures that can attract Pokemon. And, and then, out of nowhere, when you go to that location, you see like 50 kids just crowding around this random, random spot. And they'll all be waiting for Pokemon to show up and catch them. So, as I was saying, there was a, a kid that I was hanging out with, and I know that he has ADHD. So this is a kid 
that would not settle down. He would just always be running around doing something. But when I was hanging out with him that day, he sat quietly at the park with me. And I was like, whoa, what's going on? Like, was he on his medication today or something? No, that's nothing wrong. It's to treat the illness, right? But the point is, like, he sat patiently. Then I, I realized he was just looking at his phone because there's a Pokemon nearby, and he's just trying to figure out where it is. So this thing is really powerful. And so powerful that there are people that want to cheat the system in order to catch more Pokemons. So there is one thing in this game where you have, in order to, to catch new Pokemons, to hatch eggs, to have new Pokemons, you have to walk two kilometers physically with the phone. And so some people who are lazy, they strap it on, on the dock and let the dock run the 2K for them and then they'll get the Pokemon. Or there's some people who are really, really lazy. They put on a fan and that's the way to get the two kilometers of walking. Or if you're really crazy and sophisticated and you really have that money to do it, there's something called a Pokedrome. So you can play the game at your house while your drone does all the traveling for you. So, so where am I getting at at this? There are people who take shortcuts and they want the joy and the reward without going through the process of pain and suffering or just enduring what it takes to get there. But comparatively, Jesus groaned mightily. He is God. He doesn't have to do that. He can just go heal the guy and walk away. He doesn't have to go through any suffering. But he chose voluntarily himself because he is God. He is the God who is love, the God who is compassion, and the God who is steadfast. It is out of his own character to take the shortcuts to heal without suffering with those he loves. And in the same time, when he was healing the deaf and mute guy, he doesn't just go and do it. He looked up to the, to the skies to his father in a sense where he was longing to wait for work to be done with the father. He doesn't do it by himself. He is obedient while he is incarnate as human. He doesn't just act out of the fact that he is God. He chose to be living in humility. And this is who Jesus is. <clears throat> and then as I was in Stay Out, we also came across this game that I mentioned earlier called Four Screens. <clears throat> and as I was talking to some veterans, this is the bread and butter of sayout, where a sayout VBS does not work unless you draw four squares on the ground and have a ball, and then things will start rolling. You don't have to really have anything fancy or something elaborate. You just draw four squares, have a ball, people will start playing, people will start lining up. <clears throat> and the interesting thing is that if you don't know what four square is, it's a very competitive game. And for those who play, they would know where you start off with four people in each square, and the objective is to knock out the other three. And the whole end goal of the game is to be the king square, 
and to stay on that king's square as long as you, as long as you can, while keep knocking out your, your, your lesser peasants, so to speak. And so one day during the week, I was just watching them play, and something that really stood out to me was there was a kid, and he was just going, going on his way, traveling through the square, and, and at the same time, there is this other youth who was really, really competitive and tried to knock out every single player that was in his way. And then in contrast, there's this kid who is humbly just, he didn't even really try, he just got lucky, and slowly other people get knocked out, and he moved his way into the King's Square. But what happened was, afterwards, he got to a point where he's king. So as a king, you get the privilege to start and, and get the game rolling to control where to hit the squares. And then on the peasant squares, there was one really sad kid. He was like, oh, I never get to be king. Like, I don't get to do that. And so this, this, this kid on the king square, he was like, you know what? You can have it. You can start. It's okay. Like, it's all good. Like, you can, you can, you can be king. And I just have this little square and, and play. So he let go of his own control in order to love other people. He can be king, but he chose not to be. Even though he has the status as king. And this is more or less what Jesus did when he came to this world to heal. He has the privilege and power as a king, but he let go of that in order to suffer with other people. And the last story that I would like to share with you about is just with the kids. So this is on the first day when we went berry picking and they're enjoying the time, just shoveling berries up, up their mouths because it was fresh and it becomes a tub of juice almost and they're still like grabbing and eating it. So these are some really, really cute kids. But in the same time though, we, we learned that there are some dangers that we need to watch out for. So during briefing, pre-trip briefing or even during the trip, we got warned time after time after time by our coordinators to not give piggybacks to the kids or to not just be too close to the kids. And it was because some of these kids might have head lice. And head lice is just not a very pleasant thing when you have something crawling, jumping around on your hair and you have to keep scratching it. And so at first, first night, it was all nice and well. And then during the debriefing, uh, Brian Liu was just reminding us again that, like, don't give piggybacks, don't do that because you have to watch out in case you, you, you get headlights on your head. And so when he said that, there were those great nine-year-olds who were really passionate at first about kids, and then when they heard that, they cringed. They're like, like, Michaela basically, like, cringed. He's like, uh-huh, I don't want this. And so, and, and, and I single him out, single her out because she said, mentioned her during the sermon, so there, there's her mention. So the thing is, I need to confess. It's like I'm I'm the youth intern here, and and at the same time, I was actually cringing myself. I was like, oh man. So so if you were at the trip and you see me, you realize that I try to not be physically too close with the kids. Like I will be I'll be at at their eye level, but I will always stay a certain distance. And it got worse when some people told me, yeah, they actually saw headlights on their head, like jumping. I was like, whoa. 
So, so even though I try to minister to them, like I was actually staying at a certain distance and not be as intimate as, as some of them were. And then, but at the same time, there was one of the, one of the bigger youth guys. He didn't really care, or maybe just the fact that he, um, yeah, but he doesn't care. So, there was one day where they're just playing games and he, was, he ended up wrestling with these kids. Like, there's like five of them on him and he doesn't care. Just let them jump on him, hug him and all that. So, so kudos to him. But as I was reflecting on this, this is kind of like the scene in my life that, that Jesus was trying to overcome. There is something that gets between me to really be in compassion with the people that are in need of God. It might look physical in this example, but there are more than, more than one thing that is occurring in my life. Maybe it's my pride, or just my laziness, or just, just the fact that I, I make up different excuses, culturally or just socially, that keeps me in distance from people who are in need. But Jesus didn't care. He overcome all that because of his great love for us, that nothing is more important than to put himself in order to show us that God is love and God is the imminent love that we can have. So when I came back to Vancouver and I saw this quote and as I reflect on this incident, I felt really ashamed. I was like, this is from a quote from Dorothy Day, who is a Catholic journalist and activist who associate himself or herself in order to reach the poor. And the quote says that I really only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. I really only love God as much as the person I love the least. And to me, it really hit me that do I really love God that much if I try to make conditions, try to say like, okay, God, like, I can love people I love, but for people that I'm fearful to love or there are things in the way, I can make concessions and it's totally fine because I love these other people. But when God tells us to take up the cross, there's no condition. There's an unconditional love that he has given us and we are to live out that unconditioned love. And so for me, I was so ashamed. And it really made me think twice about how I need to change my own life to be who, like who Jesus is. So Jesus groaned mightily. Jesus groaned mightily. To look back, this is the tenth year that we have been to say out as a, as a church. And it has last ten years not just because we have some dedicated leaders taking up the roles every year to plan, to run, and to coordinate your trip, but it's because of all the relationships that we have built with those who we're reaching out to and say out. During the whole trip, I've heard of many transformation stories from, from the locals, from, from our own team members, that it started off as a trip where it was really hostile. People did not want us there. They were chucking rocks at our cars. They're stealing stuff. They're just saying really uh, terrible things to the team. 
But over the ten years, God was at work and 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 showing by Himself or through the servants that He has commissioned that we are nothing to be feared about, and that this God is a welcoming and loving God that they can also accept. And so we get to a point where the the bands actually allow us to use their their own community center to host kids camp, to host VBS. So a secular or even like a spiritual community allowed another faith that they have nothing but trauma with to come in to use their space. And, and you know that in that culture, it means a lot. It means that we are family. And it really hit me too, during the last evening, during our community dinner, when one of the leaders of the church just wasn't even prepared, was just compelled of it by the Spirit and starts sharing that we are part of their family now, that they love us just as much as we love them. And it's such a powerful message to, to see that God has touched their lives just as God has touched our lives. But at the same time, though, we need to be aware of the danger that we cannot replace Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can save these people, who can show them the way into reconciliation with God. It's not about our achievements of running these camps. It's not about the number of kids we can bring or even how big our team is. But it's because God first groans mightily to us before we were even born. That agony longing for, for us to be saved by Him. He was jealous for our love. He was really eagerly awaiting us to accept Him into, into His life. And He does so not for His sake, but for our sake. Because when he moans or he groans, he loves us that dearly. So brothers and sisters, we start off when Mark asks the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus in our lives, in the sales community lives, or just in the lives of those who have not heard the gospel in our own surroundings. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you because you are the God of compassion. And your compassion is so amazing that you came to this world to be human just so you can show us your love and to give us love and to even die for us so that this love is eternal and everlasting. As we continue to live out our lives, Lord, may you get rid of the seas in our lives that gets in the way to reach out to those who are in need of you, Lord. Whatever pride, whatever excuses, or whatever physically that gets in the way, may you take those out so we can really live out that love because you first love us, Lord. May you teach us to live as a community of compassion and love so that those 
who we touch, those who we talk to, those who we encounter, can, can see that you are who you have claimed and you have lived out to be through whatever you, you let us participate in. We thank you for today. And we pray all these in your son's most precious name.